0: Mountain, well, that was kind of lame. Good morning, Mountain. Good morning. Nice to see you. Glad you're here. Hey, I know that some of you maybe are guests and you're maybe here for the first time. Maybe it's the first time you've been in church in a while, uh, or any church at all. I just want you to echo what Rob said at the top. Just uh, welcome. This is—it's not my job to welcome you, but I think God welcomes us here. Whoever you are and whatever your story, I'm glad you're with us and uh, it's going to be a good day today. Now last week, um, last week if you were here, Luke, <clears throat> that guy, I think we learned a little bit of something about why he's such a amazing athlete and why he's such a um, big strong guy and such an amazing coach and pastor and preacher. We know why, because he eats the breakfast of champions. Did you... Did you learn this? He got out the Wheaties box. On the back of the Wheaties box, Stephen Curry, the um, MVP of the National Basketball Association, right? And on the front, yours truly. Right. That was kind of a big moment for me. I've never been on the cover of Wheaties before. And uh, there it is. Are you a little impressed with that? Yeah. that was some big, there's some big studs that are on the, on the cover of, of Wheaties, you know? Strong people, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, now, the reason some of you are laughing... Is because you actually know me. <laughs> the reason my, my, the, anybody works with me is laughing the loudest and my family is like doubled over is because I'm really not Wheaties box uh, material at all. In fact, the truth is none of us really are. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, St- Stephen Curry, it's great if he gets his picture on there because he's the M- MVP and he worked hard at basketball and everything. But the truth is this, that every single one of us eventually gets to the place Where we recognize, you know, we're not all-stars and superstars at every part of our life. In fact, we get to the place where we recognize, I need help. And I can't just sort of do this on my own. That's what we're going to talk about today. is how important it is to get to that place. And um, we've been working through this series. It's called Awakenings. And it's all about these ways that when stuff happens in your life, that God uses them like alarm clocks to wake us up. And these experiences that are kind of universal to everyone, that are always a part of our finding our way to God. And all of us is hungry for that, finding a way to God. How do we find God and connect with God? And these awakenings are a series of things that are pretty much true in, in, in all of our lives. We began by talking about an awakening to longing. Everybody say longing. This is that stuff that's hardwired into every human being. You don't have to ask for it. You got it. And that is this, this desire to, um, to find meaning in life, to, to find answers to some of the hard questions in life, to find real love, to, um, to know that I have a purpose in life. These are the longings that, turns out, God puts into every one of us for one reason, to help lead us back to Himself. And nothing but God will fulfill those longings that are in every single one of us, inside of us, and that drive us. We've been um, kind of paying attention to the story that Jesus told, a a real famous story, about a boy who uh, ran away from home and said, I want my inheritance, and he ran away and he squandered it in a distant country. And... In his case, he kind of had the same longings that we have. I want more. I want what's coming to me. I want to get it now. And uh, he went off and he squandered it in kind of a bad way. And a lot of us know what that's like. You say, I want the good life. I want to, I want to have fun. I want, I want to do what I want to do. And he grabbed what he could and he followed his desires. And, and um, it, what happened to him is what happens to all of us. Either you get the desires that you're looking for and you realize, oh, they're not all they're cracked up to be. I still wish there was more. Or you can't ever quite get it. And so you, you still are frustrated. And eventually, that leads you to a kind of second awakening, which is the awakening to regret. And that's what Luke talked about last week. The awakening to regret is when you start saying, Man, I wish I hadn't made that choice. I wish I hadn't hooked up with that person. I wish I hadn't gone that, that direction. Or I wish I wouldn't be where I am today. And that awakening to regret is actually a good thing because it's another clue that can help, another push that can help lead us back to God. And eventually, if we live in the regret long enough, it'll cycle us back to a third game changing awakening, which we're going to talk about today. And that's that's the awakening to need. Everybody say need. Need when you need, when you recognize you actually need some help. That you're not Wheaties box material that day. I remember when I was about five or six years old, um, we lived in southeast Minneapolis, right across the street from Tuttle Elementary School, right on Talmadge Avenue there. And uh, around the playground of Tuttle Elementary School was a chain link fence. I think it seemed a lot taller at the time it's probably only five or six feet tall and it was primarily there to keep balls from bouncing in the street but you know for me as a kid and all my buddies that chain link fence was a playground it was a obstacle course it was a jungle gym right and I was really good at climbing fences as the little guy my little toes fit you know those little the chain link fence has those little squares my toes would go right in there bam 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 bam, bam. and I could climb a fence like a monkey I'm mean, I was good I was like tick, 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 tick. I could go up. And my mom wasn't watching if the ball got stuck on top of the backstop Benny, he did call my name, and I'd go get that thing. But I'd go right up to the top, twenty-five feet tall. I didn't care. I would just climb that fence. I loved it. Part of it. Now, if I, if also, if my mom didn't know, I could sometimes watch TV with my older brothers, and uh, we watched cool shows. Like you might even know some of these. Some of you old, old people, you might remember Man from U.N.C.L.E. I huh? remember Mannix, huh? Hawaii Five-O, huh? Mission Impossible, Wild Wild West. This is what planted in my brain. Is all, you know, all the cool guys in all the shows had at least one thing in common. They could all hop fences in a really cool way, okay? Or their stunt doubles could. So now today, if I see a, a fence like that, I'm like, where's the gate? I'm going around. But in those days, no fence too high, I climb it. So I'm out, I'm out messing around one day, climbing this fence all by myself in the, in the, in the yard across the street. And um, I had this little move I always did at the top when you climb up and you get to the top, I had this little move, a little maneuver to flip over the fence and flop down the back side. I kind of threw my leg up on the top, and then I kind of like whip around like this, and then I'd be this way, and then just kind of throw your crotch over, you know, and then you just kind of jump down in do two little hops like that, and I was off to the next adventure. Am I impressing you? Was I cool or what? That <laughs> yeah, was amazing. So this one particular day, <clears throat> I, uh, I had a, a little encounter a little problem. I climbed up this fence. And I was going to do my little move, my little flipper thing, and I go over the top. Well, apparently I had a little hole somewhere down in the the place where a little boy gets a hole sometimes in his britches. And you know how that top of that shaling fence sticks out the top and it's got those two little pointy things like that. And one of those kind of pointy things got kind of caught up in there inside my britches. And just as I made my glorious move, I thrust myself over and I heard this rip. And I kind of lost my balance and I, and next thing I knew I got flipped upside down and that fence got caught inside my pants and ripped it all the way down to my cuff where it lodged. And then my hands let go and there I am hanging with my face to the fence upside down with my pants slowly sliding down. <laughs> and I can't move. I'm like, I'm like trying to climb up backwards to get my leg free and I can't do a thing. What would you do? What would you do? Ain't nobody driving by Talmadge Avenue all of a sudden. Nobody's outside. I'm like, I did exactly what you do. Blood's rushing to my head. I'm starting to freak out. I'm like, help, help. Hey, hey. Hello. Hey, I'm stuck. Hey, look over here. I'm just yelling off the top of my head. Now, now, um, my, dad, um, my dad's study in our house was uh, in the front of the house, and our house is right across the street. He probably saw the whole thing happen. I don't know. I'll never forget, I'll never forget, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to crane my neck to look up and see if anybody's coming, and, and, and I see my dad running across the street. What a great feeling to see help coming running. <sighs> Dad's on the way. What an awesome feeling that was. I'm not going to die here on this fence, which had occurred to me. First of all, my dad, you got to know my dad. When he, my dad got there and saw that I was fine and saw the humor of the situation, he's like, Yes. <laughs> you got to know my dad. He's like, Is there a problem? And I'm like, Dad, come on, give me down, stock give me that. So he kind of gently lifted me down, and I walked across the street with my dad, humbled but very grateful, to show my mom the new rip in my pants and the scratches on my legs. And I remember two things real strong. I remember, I remember the feeling of. I'm really stuck, there's nothing I can do. And then I remember, ha, when I saw help come running. Have you felt either of those things in your life? When you knew you were stuck and needed help on some part of your life, something that was going on beyond your control, something you couldn't fix, something you couldn't handle, something that situation you couldn't move forward? You ever acknowledge that recently to God? You ever experienced help come running for you? Are you at a place in your life right now where you're ready to invite God to be the help that comes running to you? This is the awakening we need. The awakening to need. When we recognize the limits that we have and the stuckness we're really in in life and call on God, it's one of the sweetest things in the world. Because sometimes the truth is we feel like we can hop most fences. I can handle most things that come my way. That's the American way. We just kind of suck it up and do it, right? That's what made you so good. Oh, yeah. We get patted on the back for hopping fences. We want to. We all think we're on top of the Wheaties box. But we just... We just don't like to ask for help. How many of you don't like to ask for help? Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. How many of you, how, um, anybody really, really stubborn like a mule and doesn't like to ask for help? Go ahead and raise your hand if you're sitting next to one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a baby is not like that. When we're born, we're not that way. We're like, ga ga goo goo, help me. And when we're very, very old, we're not like, hey, carry my suitcase. Help me go to the bathroom. I can't do anything. But you know what? Between baby and old person, it seems like we think we can do anything. The other day, I'm at Panera, and there's this little boy. You know, they're coming in with a little toddler and his mama. And they come up to the door, and uh, she starts to open the door. He's like, I'll do it myself. He's pushing on the door. He weighs about 14 pounds. You know, he can't push that door open. He's like, Finally, he kind of says, you do it. Of course, then she pulls the door open, and they go in through. And, (laughs) But that's how we are in life, right? And that's why a lot of us get caught up in what we sometimes call the sorry cycle, right? Where we have these longings and these desires and we're going to push on the door that we think is going to lead us to happiness and fulfillment for everything we really want in life. The place that's going to give me meaning. is going to give me a high. It's going to give me fun. going to give me happiness. And a lot of times they're vain pursuits and they're empty and they don't really fulfill us at all. And so we go push open the door to the casino one more time. We go push open the door to the mall one more time. We take the we take the credit card and we strip it one more time. We overeat. We oversex. We over everything thinking it's going to fulfill. And what it does is it leaves us feeling empty and vain and, 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 and worse. And so now we have a problem of regret. And so how do we numb that? How do we solve that problem? Will we go pursue the same old stuff or some new thing that we think is going to pursue it? And people, you can spend your whole life doing that. Like a dog chasing a mechanical rabbit thinking okay i'm just about there i'm just about there i'm just about there clueless to the fact that you're not just about there and it's an endless cycle of regret and shame and then all of a sudden you're dead and some people never wake up they never wake up they never let the regret and the need wake them up anybody know the 12 steps the 12 steps of recovery I'll put the first step on the screen for you. You read it with me here. We admit that we are what's the word? Powerless. You know what this isn't AA's credo. This is this is the credo. This is the 12 steps for humanity. When we admit that we're powerless over something. An addiction is just one way that God sometimes sends an alarm clock to our life to say, "told you." Told you you weren't all powerful. And that's why that's the first step and sometimes the hardest step. And, but it's about 80% of, the, 80% of the steps right there admitting our need. Richard Rohr says it this way, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of what we're facing in the present and if it means letting our illusions die. We don't want to let the illusion die that I'm really a Wheaties guy, that I can handle this, and so we'd rather rather be ruined than changed. So, if you are resonating with what I'm saying, maybe you recognize how important it is to humble yourself. Pride is what gets in the way of our opening ourselves to need and to help. When we're really hanging on a fence and as long as we keep saying, well, I think I can work this out or I'm fine. Let the cars go by. I don't need your help. This has been a major insight in my life. It's taken me a long time to get here because I'm an achiever. I like to do things. I like to win. I like to... I like to have my wife proud of me, my parents proud of me. I like to have my kids think I'm a success. I want my neighbors to look up to me. I want you to be impressed. I, you know, and, and the problem with being omnicompetent and pursuing that with everything you've got is, is that you miss the greatest gift of all. It turns out to be the thing we want and need the most, which is the one thing you can't have when you're trying to prove that you don't need any help. And that is God's love and God's grace to come to us in full measure which only opens when we humble ourselves. Friends, admitting our need for help isn't weakness, it's wisdom. Humbling yourself isn't humiliating, it's liberating. Let me say that again. When you humble yourself, that's not humiliating, it's liberating. It means it frees you. It frees you to get the one thing you need and want the most, and that is God's love and grace in your life. As long as you don't admit your need, if you don't humble yourself that much to say, I could use some help, then you're actually closing off the grace of God from your life and that's everything you need it's liberating because it helps you be free then to acknowledge that you have some limits that there are some things you can't do and can't handle that's actually freeing it sounds very terrible to admit that but it's it's liberating to say you know what physically emotionally spiritually humanly there are limits I'm not God there are loads I can't lift there is an amount of work I cannot do. There's an amount of hours I can't sustain. There is stress I can't take. There's an amount of hurt that I cannot absorb. There's a line between some problems I can solve and some I cannot. There are answers. I There are questions I do not have answers to. There are people that I can't fix. There are situations I cannot change. There are There are loads I can't lift, there's pain I can't endure, there's heartbreak and setback and upset that I can't handle. Friends, you can't change another person, you can't change the planet overnight. Friends, we can't even change ourselves most of the time. You can't even stop the little things that you're trying to do yourself. We talk about trying to change, that's why your good New Year's resolutions this year will be the same as they were last year. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you pride yourself on being a success, and some of you are still kind of thinking this is a sermon for someone else, which is why I'm still talking about this thing, because the people who are trying to master every problem and tackle one more thing, you can work yourself out of every situation, there's no offense, you can't get over, sooner or later you're going to find yourself dangling upside down. Sooner or later. Even if it doesn't come to the very end of your life when you're facing the Lord Jesus on Judgment Day. But sooner or later it'll come. And most of the time it comes long before that where we're dangling, we realize, you know what, I'm winning, I'm winning, I'm winning at work, and we realize I'm losing at home. Or we realize the marriage that used to be like this is now like this or this or this or this. Or my finances that I, I tried to put together, I made some mistakes and now I'm in a bad place and I can't fix it. Or, or spiritually you realize you're in trouble and so far from God you, you don't know how to find your way back to God. And you said you're sorry so many times you don't think He wants to hear it one more time. We all need an awakening that begins with a recognition that I need God. I'm not a huge Justin Bieber fan. Mostly because I don't know him. He's never invited me to anything. But he did an interview with Complex Magazine recently and he said some things that made a lot of sense to me. About Christianity, in fact. Here's one thing he said. He says, all the healing we try to do for ourselves, it's unnecessary because we have the greatest healer of all and his name is Jesus Christ. And he really heals. This is it. And then Justin Bieber, here's what else he said. What, listen to this. If we can understand that we're all imperfect, let's come to God and come for His help. You're not weak by doing that. I think that's a common misperception of Christians that you're weak because you can't handle it. And then he says this. None of us can handle this world, dude. It's eating us alive. I think he's right, Dude. Long before J.B. was singing songs, Larry Gatlin wrote a song, and in fact Elvis sang it for a long time. So did Johnny Cash, and a bunch of other country singers. And I've actually someone gave me this old country CD. I've been playing it in my car a lot recently. It's become kind of my song. You know, sometimes there's a song that kind of becomes your song for a little while. I like this song, and let me read some of the words to you. Maybe, it, maybe it's a little bit of your prayer too. Some of the words go like this. It's called help me. Oh Lord, help me walk another mile. Just one more mile. I'm tired of walking all alone. And Lord, help me smile. Another smile. Just one more smile. Don't think I can do things on my own. I never thought I needed help before. I thought that I could get by by myself. But now I know I just can't take it anymore. And so, with a humble heart on bended knee, I'm begging you, please, for help. Or, as the old hymn that still rings in my ears would say, I need thee. Oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Every hour, even when I'm hopping fences, I need God. And so do you. And the sooner we awaken to it and humble ourselves enough to recognize that truth, the sooner we open the floodgates and push that door open to all kinds of goodness and grace in our lives that comes from the One we're looking for, And that's God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to take us back to this story that Jesus told us. And I want to invite you to find yourself in this story a little more, even this week, as we look at this same story every week, digging into it. But I want to help us see the story that Jesus told, maybe in the way that His original Jewish audience might have heard it. Because I think there's some things we might miss. So this is the story about the, the boy who ran away from home, right? He went to his dad. He says, I want your inher- I want the inheritance and everything. But you've got to realize this is more than a story between a boy and his dad. There's a lot more people involved. First of all, there's probably a mom and a sister or some others. We know there's an older brother. But it's also a whole village. There's a whole bunch of people involved. Back in those days, uh, farmers didn't live like they might today in rural America where you'd kinda, they all kind of live independently out on their farmland. First of all, you'd never put your house up on farmable land. That'd be a waste of good land. They lived in a village in, 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 together in, in kind of a cluster with their homes in a circle and then they would all go out during the day and work their various fields. But they lived in community, highly communal culture. Lots of, of, of um, emphasis on the village and our identity as a culture. And so when a son like this comes, as Jesus' story says, and says... I want my inheritance it's a way of saying to your father I wish you were dead I'm ready for you to be dead because I want what's coming to me and not only would would the father have known it everyone would have known it and not only would they have known it it would have affected them in a negative way because now, how is the father going to pay for that inheritance? He's going to have to sell some of this off. He's going to have to depart, you know, sell some of this off. And so animals that the village used to use for milk or cheese or something like that now are going to be sold off. You know, slaves that, that um, he might have to get rid of were their friends and who are they going to go with and, and how were they be treated? This, this was an injury that was more than just to father. This was to everyone, the whole village it was disrespectful and a disgrace to take the heritage and what generations had taken to hand to the father now the son was demanding in a second and it broke trust with that community and so they had a ritual that they observed in these kinds of cases if a son or daughter who had wasted the family inheritance and had damaged the community like that if, if that ever happened they had actually a ritual that they would observe what they would do is they would go out to meet that son or daughter, let's say they see, they see the son or daughter coming back to the village after squandering all that, they'd be like, oh, everybody. They would grab their pots and, and clay articles and pictures and so forth and they would go out to the edge of the village where they would meet before the person could ever get back inside the village and they would meet them with stern faces and their pots and then they would take their pots and they would throw them down and crash them like this. As a way of saying, all of them breaking their pots together, a very violent demonstration. It was called Kezaza. Everybody say, Kezaza. Kezaza. It was a way of saying, this is what you've done to this community. You have broken our laws. You have broken our trust. You have broken our community. And it cannot be put back together again. You are Kezaza. You are cut off. You are not welcome here. It's a very powerful and graphic experience as you can imagine. And I and I think that it's a pretty accurate symbol maybe of what some of us maybe feel like we've done with certain parts of our lives too, right? Yes? Where maybe we have pursued something and it has broken into a bunch of pieces and now it feels like it's ruined. Marriages can look like this and get utterly destroyed. Families can fall apart. Dreams can get shattered. Relationships with estranged children. A reputation that gets broken into a million pieces. Trust that gets broken. A heart that is so shamed. You have maybe lived a little bit of kezaza yourself where you know there's no going back that direction any longer. It's too broken to be repaired. And we feel it particularly, I think, in our connection with God because we've maybe just squandered so many of the blessings He's given us. We've sinned so much and we know that if we were to turn back we'd only be met with anger and kezazah. So you can understand something of what the son is facing. You can understand why it's such a big deal for him. He's got to solve this somehow on his own, he thinks. Because he can't go back and face kezazah. And just like us, he's very slow to acknowledge his need as a result. He's very slow to come to the end of himself. And we do the same thing. Let me take you through some of the story and look at the problems that this, this person faced. And you can see maybe in your own life some of the same patterns. First, he faced a, a, a famine. The first problem was famine. And if you look over at verse 14 of Luke chapter 15, here's what it says. After he had spent everything. What? He spent everything? Yes, the whole inheritance would had taken generations to hand to him as a gift. He spent it and wasted it in wild, riotous living. And then, after that happened, all it got bad. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in what's the word? Need. It began to rise up. There was no Compassion International to swoop in and bring aid. The first solution he thinks, well, I know what I can do. Uh, You know, you think, when we read this, we go, why didn't the boy just go home? There's no going home. I mean, we live in a culture where it makes sense. Go home, you know. You can be 47 years old and still live in your dad's basement around here. Who cares? But you know what? It wasn't that way back then. He's going to go home to this? Uh Uh-uh. He's going to solve this on his own. So, here's his first solution. He's going to hire himself out to someone else. I'll just earn some money that way and I'll fix it. Luke, verse 15. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Guess what? Who sent him to his field to feed the what? You know what? Hebrews don't really like pigs too much. He found a job that this guy wouldn't even take, or a job that would symbolize the lowest of the low. The pigs were considered the um, unclean, defiled, totally against their religion, unkosher animals, not even to touch. And so here he is at the lowest of the low, ready to do anything to survive, still thinking he's going to solve this problem on his own. Isn't that amazing? How we can get so desperate, so down in the mouth, so bad off, and we still think, oh, I still got it, I'm fine, I'm not dangling on a fence, no, I got this. And that's where he is. It gets more personal. He faces a second problem. It's the problem of starvation. Look at, look at um, verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Pig slop. But no one gave him anything. That's a harsh statement. You ever been in a place where you really needed a break and no one was there? No one was giving you nothing. What this boy needs is a break and there ain't none. He needs grace. He's not going to get any. He's not getting paid. Nothing's happening. He comes up with the next plan. Here's his solution. He's still going to solve it. He says, well, then I'll go hire myself out to my father. Maybe that's my next best plan. Verse 18, I will set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy of to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Here's the plan. I'm still, he's still trying to do it on his own. And by the way, those, that phrase, everyone would have recognized that phrase, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Because everyone would have recognized that's the same words that Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh, the king of Egypt? When the children were going through the ten plagues, he finally got so sick of boils and scratching and all the plagues, he finally said, Okay, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against earth. I've sinned against you. Can you? And, 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 but they recognized, you know what? Pharaoh didn't really change his heart at all. He just was tired of the problem. He was tired of the pain. So he said, Oh, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And that's probably what this boy was too. He's like, He's not, he just wants it to stop. He's not ready to change. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? I'll be okay if the pain went away. But I'm just maybe not quite ready. He still thinks he's going to solve it on his own. He hasn't recognized his need. And so he heads home with this plan in place to recite his speech about how Father, here's what's going to happen now. He's going to tell the Father how it's going to go down. I'm going to do this and you're going to give me that and then it'll all be good. That's what's so amazing about this story. Because that boy experienced something eventually. Similar to what I did the day when I was hanging on the fence. And maybe similar to what you might need to experience. Let me show you something that flips it around a little bit. Uh, this, this week, beautiful thing I saw. Karis Oglesby, two-year-old little girl. and her, She couldn't wait to see her daddy, First Lieutenant David Oglesby, who's been in Kuwait for eight months on assignment. And they come back and they're having this formal homecoming ceremony for the 3rd Armored Brigade in Fort Collins. And when that little two-year-old girl spots her daddy, she cannot contain herself. I've got a video of it. Go ahead and watch the screen. Watch what happens. She was excited. She spotted me uh, from a couple of rows back, and she couldn't contain herself. I wasn't going to tell her no, so happy to see her. Now, I love that. You know, and he says, I didn't know whether I was supposed to break formation or not, but he says, i got to be a dad. There's another quote I love there now i I show that to you because it's touching to see a young girl running to her daddy that she knows is going to welcome him but and it, because I think it touches something in all of us that we long for it, If you had a good dad and a good mom, maybe this brings back fond memories. Maybe you didn't have any mom or any dad and you had a lousy upbringing. I think it makes the longing even stronger in you. But the fact is we all have this longing for home, for good, for love, for an embrace like that little girl ran for and her father met her with it. We all long for that. That's what makes this story so painful is this boy will only come home to Kezazah. And that's how some of you feel too. If I turn back to God now, it's too late. I'm the last one that should be acting religious after everything I've been. But don't sleep through this, my friend. You need a wake-up call, and here it is today. The boy wakes up enough to his knee, it says in verse 20, that he got up and he went to his father. So now he's 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 going back to his father, but he's still got a plan. He's not running like this little girl expecting an embrace. He's running expecting this. But he's, it's the only it's the only thing he, it's the only option he's got. And then it says this. I love this. Here it is. Hinge point. Not of this story. Hinge point. Of human history the hinge point of your life the hinge point that changes everything about our whole lives is right here here while he was still a long way off his father saw him apparently he was looking for him who knows how long this boy's been gone two years who knows his father is out at the edge of the driveway looking for him waiting for him and he was filled with compassion of all things and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The Bible literally means there he kissed him over and over and over and over again. That's a moment you were born for, my friend. You may have never experienced it in this life, but you can experience it with God. The boy begins this shame-filled speech. Dad, I know I've sinned against heaven and you. And the father just cut him off and says, Shut up, we're going to throw a party. My son who is gone is back. My son who is dead is now alive again. The boy comes home and he doesn't run to his father. Get this. The father runs to him. Friends, you get the story, right? Jesus is telling the story so we get a picture of God. God runs. God runs. To you. To me. Men in that culture... They didn't run. Men in our culture who are important, you don't run. You don't see a picture on the news of Putin and Obama meeting at a formal head of state meeting and they're running across the field to each other. No, no, no. Important people don't run. Especially in that culture, they didn't run. And I meant for him to run in those big robes, of his, he would have had to hike up his robes and expose his ankles. You say, what's the big deal? Well, that was, un- that was shameful. It was undignified. It was uncouth for a man to run. And here he is hiking up. I don't think this guy cares. Do you? What he cares about is coming across the field. And so he runs. One of the reasons he has to run is to beat these people, to get to the son before they do. To take upon himself the humiliation that he's already taken, so the son doesn't have to take it. And when you come home, that's exactly what your father does to you. Friend, you have, you, you have uh, uh, so many situations, just like I do, that are like this son, where we're mostly worried about what we've broken, what, th- what we've broken in life, what we've broken, what the laws are we've broken. And he's thinking, oh man, look, I've slept with so-and-so, I've did this, I've hit these drugs, and I've wasted this money. And all. He's, thinking of, he's thinking of the laws and the rules and, and the, the things that he's broken. And the only thing the Father cares about is the relationship that's broken. And that's something the Father can do something about. And so he runs and he embraces. God runs. And I want you to understand something today. When you finally come to the end of yourself enough to recognize that you can't do everything on your own, and you do need help, and you're finally ready for God, that's a beautiful moment where you humbly turn your heart toward home. And my friend, home is in God, the God who made you. And of course, now you realize the One who told this story is Jesus. And Jesus wrote Himself into the story. He was telling about His heavenly Father who was the Father in the story, who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, as a way of running toward us, who now says to you, follow Me. When you say yes to Jesus, that is you running into the arms of God. And you will find, I don't care how far you've been, I don't care how long you've been gone, you can always go home. And there is nothing that's so broken that He can't repair and restore. And He's ready to welcome you home this church is filled with people who've had some rotten things happen in their life, some bad choices, some bad decisions, some terrible pain, sleeping with the wrong people, getting, getting divorces and making bad mistakes, or sometimes just um, getting into life and realizing that even though you're trying to go through the motions of being a good person, there's still an emptiness Getting messed up in pornography, getting messed up in drug scene, getting messed up and just getting so caught up in the success cycle that we started following the wrong heart pursuits at our job and it took us away from what was really noble and good and pure. The church is filled with people like that who eventually got to the end of themselves and said, I want to wake up to God. If you'll still have me, I want to come home. And I so desperately want for you to experience that. To get to the end of yourself. Stop trying to put your own self-help plan together. Stop trying to tell God how you're going to do enough good stuff and religious stuff and it's going to all be good and you'll earn your way back in. But just recognize all you need to do is turn toward hope. And the Father will be looking for you and see you and with compassion run toward you and embrace you with the same love He did. Let me just ask you to complete this sentence. To Be real honest about this for a moment. God, I need your help with blank. Don't write it down or something so you don't have to worry about someone next to you looking at it. But can you just get real with God and tell Him what the answer to that question is? Something in your life that you know you need help with. God, I need your help with... Say it in your mind. As you invite and surrender to God. God which invites his grace into that place where you most need it. Some of you are like, well, you know, I don't really my life's all together. I don't need I'm really comfortable. Got everything going for me. I'm okay. And to you I'd say, well probably eventually you're going to be dangling on a fence upside down in need of help. But even if you're not in trouble sometime in this life and you feel like your affluence and your comfort and your personality and your good stroke of luck is enough to get by, eventually you're going to stand face to face with the One who made you and put the longing for Himself inside of you that you've tried to fulfill in other ways. And in that moment, you're going to really need God. You will have needed to have chosen Him. And so today is a call for decision. For each of us. Maybe you've already committed your life to Christ, but you've drifted. And today is a day to choose or re-choose to say, I need help. Friend, here's what I'm here to tell you. Help has a name. The help that you need in your life. Whatever it's for, help has a name, and that name is Jesus. So maybe you've committed your life to Christ, but you've drifted and you need the fresh help of Jesus in your life. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. You've dabbled, you've observed, you've wandered, you've looked, you're interested, you're intrigued, but you know that it is your time to come home, to give your life to Jesus. We're going to invite you to do that today, right now, and then come at the end of the service and just get someone to pray with you and for you. And the week after next, if you want to wait that long, we're going to have some baptisms right after service. In between services, if you've never been baptized, this is the way all the early believers just expressed their confidence in Christ that He could really forgive and wash their sins. And so I invite you to be baptized. And all of our campuses right afterwards, right here, we just jump in the water and get wet in the name of Jesus together. Whoever you are, I invite you to recognize that this is a moment of decision. Help has a name. His name is Jesus. And He's waiting for you to come home. Let me pray for you. Our Father, we are grateful to You for how much patience and grace You have given us in our lives. How long You have waited. How patient You have been and how deep is the well of Your grace. God, if You are real and we believe You are real, will You make Yourself even more real to us right now? Awaken in us the willingness to turn toward You for help. We pray it in the name of Jesus. And all who agreed and prayed this prayer, say together with me now, Amen. 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 Amen.